Hello, this is Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet, and this is your host, Ilana Levin. This is the podcast for the kind of people who've noticed that the United Nations seems to have way more power in the DC universe than it does in real life, and are considering the narrative and policy implications of this. Or if you haven't noticed, but you're interested in hearing from people who have, because this is also the show for you. And today we are covering Young Justice Phantoms. That's season four of the Young Justice animated series, helmed by Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, now airing on HBO. What a place to be. (laughs) We're doing this during the mid-season break. There's more coming this spring, but the show has been such a meaty blend of teenage slash young adult soap opera, political intrigue, DC politics, lore, and religion, reconfiguring it all, um, taking a kind of incoherent canon and making it into something that just might be coherent. What? (laughs) So I couldn't resist doing a mid-season episode, um, and we will almost definitely be back for the finale, too. We're going to start with a few minutes of spoiler-free conversation to answer the eternal question of, like, is season four worth watching? Um, and why? Because I guess obviously we all think it is or else we wouldn't be talking about it. But I know some folks watched season one and two and maybe felt like three wasn't for them or maybe they watched three and were dissatisfied. Like, we'll help you figure out if you want to do it. That'll be a short little bit. And then we're going to go into spoiler time. But don't worry, we will give you a heads up when we switch. And my guests today are a dream team of fans with really <laughs> appropriate backgrounds to cover this show. Joining me for the first time is Dr. Khalidin Nas. He is a writer and researcher with a PhD in media and culture studies from the University of Sussex. His work explores the realities of queer subjectivity, self-conception, otherness, and the intersections of culture and identity. Welcome to the show. Hi, I am excited here to represent the McGann Apologists. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. And joining me is repeat guest Nathaniel Hubbard, or Hub. He is a podcaster and a writer. He is the co-host and producer of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast where he and his brother cover Teen Titans and Defenders comics in chronological order. And What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full (laughs) name of the show. And a writer for Garden Plots with Skeletor, where he also plays Merman. He is, and this cannot be overstated, definitely a human man from Earth. <laughs> Welcome back, Hub. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. And um, yeah, again, I know it can't be overstated, but definitely a human man from Earth. <laughs> Thank you well, for I mean, noting that. Yeah, Don't question it no, further. Yeah, no, no question. No further questions. What's so funny for me is I'm a big fan of your podcast. I listen to them regularly. And so there's always this moment when I hear your voice where I think I'm listening to a podcast rather than I am hosting a podcast. So there might be a moment where you say something and then I'm quiet because I'm like pondering. But I'm like, oh, no, no, you're live. You're here. You're talking to me. And I just want to say, like, Tighten Up the Defense is really one of my comfort podcasts that I can always listen to if I'm feeling sad or in a bad mood. It's so funny and kind, you know, it's like a really great feeling. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much. Um, I actually sometimes have the opposite problem listening to podcasts where I'll listen to them and I'll fall asleep. This has happened multiple times now. And I will get very frustrated that they're not leaving me room to talk because in my dream, I'm a guest on the podcast. Why? This is so rude of them. Wow. I know. I was like, I can't believe you had me on my show. And then you just keep talking over me. I had a joke to make there. 
<laughs> oh no oh my god I'll, are you just waking up and like leaving bad reviews to poor podcast <laughs> and, oh, and no. yelp reviews too i mean i know they don't do anything for podcasts but i have to express <laughs> just my dis- satisfaction somehow well khalid came, first came to my attention because he was a guest on cerebrocast to mm-hmm. talk about the mutant known as sand Sarah kadir now called uh Cong- congregation mm-hmm. and um it was a great episode and with thank his you. particular background i was like yes please 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 do the show and then thankfully <laughs> he actually does watch this show so <laughs> and like this year i've had a personal vendetta because there's a character that's named after me <laughs> i'm like how dare you you've stolen my life and i will be filing a lawsuit against dc comics uh <laughs> so this is uh, the first steps <laughs> to represent well, my kids I was wondering about that because, like, as somebody, you know, my name doesn't show up in pop culture a ton. And, yeah, like, it's always – I actually can't think – I take it back. I've There is not a single case of somebody having my name in pop culture that I'm aware of. There is a character with my name in my friend's comic, but that mm-hmm. is because they're named after me. And, I, yeah, I don't know how it would be to be like, wait, what? It so is I guess really disorienting. I'm okay. so it's really disorienting. I'm just like, look, I've watched Young Justice for years and I've loved it. And like, I've done the thing when you know you you fall into Wikipedia holes for these characters and be like, this is not the backstory that I'm familiar with. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and, and then enter this character. And I was just like, I don't know. I literally felt like someone was just like in my head. And I know like this character preexisted. <laughs> I yes. know that it was a transplant, but you know, I still took it as a personal affront. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about Khalid with the back of the throat as he, as he explains on the show, which I love because I'm like, yeah. one, I can make that noise. And two, <laughs> like that is such a thing that people have to like, I don't know. I thought that was a great little touch. I really show. loved how also he was just like, well, you don't actually have it, but you're getting there. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and like, you're taking one on the chin for having Khalid out there. And I'm like, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Well, I, for our for our spoiler free part of the the uh, show, um, you know, obviously I'm a really big fan of season four, but I was also a big fan of season three. I mm-hmm. continue to be kind of mystified by the fans of the original series who don't like the subsequent ones because I really <laughs> think this is a show that has grown up with the viewers. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously most people like it, or else it wouldn't be getting renewed. But um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about uh season four and how it works and maybe overall like why why people should be checking it out Mm. um i'm honestly still kind of reserving judgment on season four like there's a lot of it that i really like i this i think more than previous seasons though it really depends on how they end up sticking the landing with the second half of the season Mm. um the structure is so different in terms of it being more of an anthology almost, Mm -hmm. which makes sense given some of the source material that they're using to kind of not really necessarily source material, but the storylines that they're using as jumping off points, which divulge from them. I definitely think it's worth watching, but there's, there's so much about it that is really different than previous seasons. I don't know how people are going to react to it. And also I have, difficulty putting myself in the position of somebody who liked the first two seasons and didn't like the third one because i really did like the third one well you know i think you bring up a key thing which is yeah like this basically is having a series of individual arcs each is a couple episodes long and i'm sure and they are already clearly interrelated to each other to an extent but 
not like deeply. It seems like, you know, the beginning of the season was all about the Ma'ars uh, mm-hmm. subplot. And then after that, it went into the the Croc sisters drama and League of Shadows stuff. And then it went into the, ma- the magic powers, Zatanna and friends crew. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming the future one will have something to do with Rocket because she is in the promotional image. And I mm-hmm. hope she's not just there to be diversity. I'm excited um, for Rocket. Yeah, to finally get yeah. a spotlight. Um, I mean, sorry to interject, but um, I think, I mean, maybe I'm coming at it from a different perspective because I think season three in particular, I have, I guess, complex feelings about. Um, in general, like a large part of my affection is off of riding the wave of how excited I was just for it to be back um, and how much I just, in essence, just love the show. But I really had some weird feelings around the character of Halo. Uh, ah, yes, mm, please share. Specifically, like, her presentation and all the violence associated with her, um, the fact that she was in the guise of a Muslim character, but at the same time isn't a Muslim character, and we've, we're only sort of getting around to exploring that aspect, that possible aspect of the, this new Halo that we know, um, you know, now. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. There... Yeah, I just I just thought that that was handled a bit awkwardly and that really tainted my feelings on that season as a whole. But at the same time, I really appreciate there are certain things about the show that I always appreciate the fact that it's not afraid to just go there, not just in terms of like the darkness of the storyline, but in like taking its audience really seriously and um, mm-hmm. their ability to, you know, be able to handle the subject matter and be handled the subject matter to be addressed in a slightly off-kilter way. I just think that, I don't know, I feel like this season in particular I'm a big fan of because I feel like there's a bit of an element of them settling into a groove of who, what they want the show to be now. Um, and also maybe just like recapturing, I don't want to say their old voice, but like, yeah, just settling into the groove of it, you know, finding their footing in it. Um, and I do also like appreciate that note you made about the structure of this season, particularly because I think a lot, I mean, from the reactions that I remember from outsiders, some of the negative sentiment around it was that they felt like it felt a bit loose. Um, and, you know, there was the certain element that they missed about sort of that world, not world character building narrative that was kind of disjointed because we were introduced to these new characters and told to feel for them. And it feels like, I don't know, there's something slightly more organic about the way that it's being done. It feels, yeah, that there's a slight corrective energy about this season that I appreciate. For me, you know, I was an, I'm pretty sure I was an adult when the first series came out and this was not my introduction to DC characters Mm -hmm. at all. And so I've always been like, ooh, let's see who they bring in next, rather than being like deeply committed to the specific characters that we've had before. Which Mm -hmm. is not to say that there aren't specific questions I have about where is so-and-so, which we will be getting into in a little bit. (laughs) But um, I feel like the fact that I'm not like so an XYZ person stan or something like that Mm -hmm. helps me be a little bit more like okay, well, like, let's just bring in all these people and, like, see where they are and, like, get into their characters and then we can move to another one. And I'm just excited for all these different appearances. And the show is really continuing to do that, yeah. to just expand the cast. It's a fucking huge cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that I actually really appreciate the show and... about. Sorry, that I really appreciate about the show. And I think as a comic book reader, <laughs> it is easier to maybe adjust to the idea of... It just throws you in in the middle and doesn't over explain a lot of things. Mm. And it's like, 
leaves you to be like, okay, well, this must have happened off screen. Okay. And it's a really familiar feeling of like, if you pick up an X-Men comic in the 90s, just being like, well, who the hell are all these people? <laughs> uh, well, I'll just go with it until I catch up. And that's actually something that was a little bit more difficult for me about this season was it took a little while to adjust to. And it's something that I feel like shouldn't work, but it mm. does. There is such an emphasis in this season on telling rather than showing. Oh, yeah. Like, there yeah. is so much exposition. There are whole sequences where it's just, like, one character giving a PowerPoint presentation to another <laughs> mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. in a pocket dimension. And yes. <laughs> that stuff seems like, I was like, everything about, like, being a writer, like, like it, it's just like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but I like this. <laughs> yes. It only occurred to me upon my second rewatch that they were doing that to save money. Mm -hmm. Right? It's that it's that old Hanna-Barbera or anime used to do this technique of like having a reduced amount of animation so that you have a panel and there's only a couple of moving objects mm. in it or maybe only the light or the color of the light is changing and people are narrating over it. I mean, and part of why you don't really mind is the voice acting performances are so fucking good. Yeah. Good God, they're good. Um, and in the end, I would rather have a show in which the individual frames are beautiful to look at. And there are fewer frames hmm. than a show where, like, why is that guy's eyeballs not filled in and, like, her hair is plopped on her head? Like, what is that? And there's more panels. Like, I will I say, like, um, you, uh, you you mentioned that Hanna-Barbera, like, it's funny. That was the thing that I thought. I was just recently watching that episode of, um, spoiler, of episode okay, four. Okay, let's officially go into spoilers from now. I think folks probably okay. have enough information. Huge spoiler on its way in just one second. Okay, Spoilers good. Spoilers from now on. Go Connor ahead. dies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, well, okay, so that episode where he dies and we have McGann in that wedding altar just crying. The, the, just those, those final seconds, that, like, the idea of, like, that had a Barbera of, like, really... And it just made connected in my mind that I think the thing that... The reason why I don't mind the them telling rather than showing is that... I feel like they make a concerted effort to try and make all those sort of just telling to also be character moments, which I think um, is really important to the show, that it always goes back to who this character is. You always know who you're dealing with, what their motivations are, or you know that that's something that is the show is reaching towards. So it feels like, I don't feel like I'm, I feel like I'm being given a PowerPoint presentation, but it's at least involving. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I felt that way in the later ones. Honestly, mm -hmm. the first arc was a little bit of a slog for me to get through just the extent of Martian anthropology you didn't that like... I did not realize I was signing up for. You didn't like Martian Luther King? <laughs> the <end there? laughs> I, I didn't dislike the story, but it was, I think, maybe just in Tighten Up the Defense, we just finished covering the retcon of the retcon of the retcon mm. of Wonder Girl's origin. <laughs> and then in the Defenders, we just did Valkyrie's origin. And I was just like, I can't take more exposition than this right now. Oh, my God. Well, I think actually, like, literally the first question I have for the spoiler section is, can we talk about the handling of race and class and Mars? Mm -hmm. and, sorry, Mars? <laughs> like, how do people feel like the show? I'll start with you, Colin. Like, how do you feel about how the show handled the Martian race and class system. I mean, it's awkward, right? It's awkward. It's the, it's that thing. It's, I mean, 
All right, so here's the battle that I'm having internally. So I don't want to give white people too much, <laughs> but like, I, I like appreciate the energy of like going for it, you know. But at the same time, it it feels I don't know something about it felt unsatisfying in the way of like it's a metaphor is being foisted upon like superhero characters when you're meant to and you're told to relate to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain element that just feels simplistic. I appreciated it. Like I appreciate the attempt and I feel like honestly my major feeling about it is that oh this is for some this aspect of the story is for someone younger than me that's being introduced yes. to these concepts mm-hmm. um I would love it for it to be handled with more nuance I feel like towards the end of that storyline it got there with the idea of like the Martians being able um to change color and join like the priesthood um like okay that's an interesting angle that really was left un- underexplored uh I like certain elements of it like the relationship between McGann and her sister um because the thing the way like I've always read McGann is that there's a there, there's like a really powerful queer allegory going on with her story oh yes yeah and like having her sister sort of uh, having those same feelings I mean I feel like that expresses something really interesting about uh, the queer experiences you know that idea of like maybe a queer entity you know that queer fight but at the same time that I, you know, the, the things that challenge community within queerness. You know? Oh, I want to just explain for anybody who might have missed it here. Like, there's a whole sequence in which we have uh, Meg McGann. Um, her her mom says to her, like, "Look, I I didn't really understand mm. when you you know sort of like try to appear like a a human, uh, but now you know I saw you." shapeshift into looking like a white Martian. And I get it. Like that isn't you, your real form is this human looking form. And like, yeah. I accept that. And I just was like, trans metaphor. <laughs> like, I, Oh, we took it. Yeah. There, finally. Um, yeah. And it was, I mean, that, that was like really interesting. And like having sort of that aspect of having her sister sort of do that same thing or expressing a, a desire for that same thing. And also having them, having her feel almost negatively about that or uh, feel really like poked by that. But at the same time, after what happens with Connor, her sister also being that, that place of solace, a place of, you know, uh, community. Like I said, I mean, those are really interesting things, but they, they, in that specific first arc, it felt like I was trying to get to those moments and I was hoping for those moments to be explored a bit more um, because that put an interesting skew on those topics. I think that might have been in part due to just, like, the limitation of the format. Mm. A four-episode arc is a really, really awkward length to try to immerse you in a totally different culture. Like, if it's one or two issues, or one or two episodes, then you can almost just kind of, okay, we can focus on the story and gloss over some of the nuance of the characters and get the information that way and if it's a longer story you have more time to explore it mm. but when it's a limitation of the four episodes and there's so much to get to it does kind of almost have to be just kind of a blunt story and the more interesting aspects were starting to get there towards the end of it but then it's time for the story to end yeah, yeah. i kind of wish that the murder plot wasn't a thing and it was just to focus on the tensions amongst the wedding and then we find a way to kill Connor sure but like like, I hear you you know uh, uh, the the social dynamics you know were there were I mean we had the foundation for something that was really interesting but we sort of ended up with a very clear racism is bad story ultimately which you know but I like how far they pushed it like Prince Mm -hmm. Jem is basically like all of our problems on Mars are because of our class caste system like (laughs) 
how often does this so just like, no, no, all of our problems are because of racism. Yeah. Like, I like the note of his father being also racist, like, but like, oh, in yeah. a good way. Maybe he didn't yeah. be a good racist, but like, I was like, oh, that was, that was cool. More that. Yeah, he's, he's that white moderate they warned you about is his Ooh. dad, right? Yeah. Right. Um, but it, it is also so much easier to take that message when it's coming from a completely different society that's not our society. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? And this is this, this. I'm pretty sure this comes from the comics. I feel like the fact that it's the white Martians who are repressed on Mars and it's the green Martians who are like most people uh-huh. and the red Martians who are the who are the ruling class. I just I'm always a little bit like whenever it's like the white X, Y, Z who are the oppressed population. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see that. I mean, uh, I guess you can see the why they do it <laughs> if you want to rip it away from like the the, the possible rate white supremacy in general yeah you can say like okay so why we have our association with purity with goodness so it would make sense to put them as like oh you know if we un, you know our biggest our conception or public conception of aliens is like green or yellow uh green or white yeah. right yeah. So, you know, it makes sense if that's how you want to do it. But, like, I get what you're saying. It does feel a bit awkward. You know? <laughs> I really appreciated getting – I was really impressed by what the show did in ours in terms of building a fully fleshed out religion mm. and, like, cultural practices in a really short period of time um, and having it not feel, like, just this is a straight-up parallel of an Earth thing. You're not like, oh, that's a space Catholic like it's not it's a new it's a new thing um that was pretty impressive i thought yeah we do have space atheists too which is cool <laughs> yes we do i like her sister's like look i'm a space atheist <laughs> by the way guys for people who didn't pick up on it her sister who is a scientist as played by the voice actress who plays princess bubblegum mm. in adventure time I who is it. also a scientist <laughs> so i just think that she, yeah like she should just she's just gonna play all scientist women from from now on and, and they I'm better be sure. lesbians or else yes, I am yes. <laughs> writing a letter we want, we want our money back wait um, are there cartoon characters Characters who aren't lesbians? No. <laughs> I will be taking no further questions now. <laughs> um, okay, I guess, you know, it's called, I mean, like, McGann, like, that is like, that's a, she's sort of doing a trans, you know, narrative, even though, of course, we like, when humans talk about, sorry, when transphobic people are like, oh, what, so you could be transgender? Does that mean you could be trans race or trans species? Like, no, this is not the same as that at all, because mm-hmm. humans and Martians are both people. They're people. Yeah. And animals are not people. And uh, it's just like, the, the, I don't know. So I feel like it would have been easy for the show to kind of be offensive in that way. But it feels like it has such a light touch in it mm-hmm. that... I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not trans, but I haven't seen a ton. I haven't seen any trans people be like, what the fuck was that or anything, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Ma'ars definitely was extremely claustrophobic to the point where near the end of the Ma'ars stuff, we both were like, I kind of hope this is over soon just because it feels so claustrophobic. But I also feel like the characters are like, we kind of wish this was over soon because like the entire time, like everybody is not, is just having a terrible time. There's no sky. (laughs) Oh, poor Beast Boy. I mean, I think Beast Boy's main thing is like he's been, he's, he starts the season dealing with burnout and he's just like goes from burnout to, Getting worse and worse in every way. Like, I mean, Hub, how do you feel about... We have a Beast Boy here who was not the worst Titan. I know. <laughs> it was confusing to me. I, I Throughout, really, Young Justice, I've been like, mm-hmm. well, why isn't he an obnoxious, sexist dipshit that I hate? 
that's not <laughs> Beast Boy. But I like this Beast Boy so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot that's going on with him in this season that I kind of enjoyed, but I am so wary of where they are going with it because I, I frankly like the idea of them exploring his depression and grief and trauma to the extent that they are. But I feel like there's going to be a switcheroo where it's like, oh, it turns out that was actually Chameleon Boy the whole time. Wait, what? Oh. That's my guess. That, I'm okay. just putting it out there because I... he hasn't changed shape at all. Like he hasn't turned into any animal since he's been back, which I guess would be something that chameleon boy could do or something but i i really think they're going to be a switch where that isn't beast boy or i really hope you're wrong on with i do too i do too I... but i'm nervous about it. <laughs> well i mean i would just say like I, I feel like you know i i really appreciate it being a really down-to-earth depiction of a character spiraling out from depression like mm. doing all the things that is exactly what people do in real life about depression and i always say like the voice actor who plays him, his, he is so fucking obnoxious, but in a way that is so accurate. Like, I would not, you could not replace him because he's just like, I don't want to say like, it's not like Zac Efron. I'm, I don't know. Like, he sounds like an like a boy who would be in like High School Musical. He's like a Bieber vibe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a Bieber vibe. And like, that is exactly the voice that like a teen, teen idol character should have. Which, you know, you have a moment of being like, He's saying these really sad things, but he sounds like he's about to be like, I love you, girl. <laughs> but like, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, so, I, li- I really yeah. like Beast. I've been, I, yeah, I've, uh, now I'm scared about Beast Boy's story arc. <laughs> I'm sorry. I may, maybe that's just me and I'm being paranoid, but I, I, I'm like, I, I want it to be mm-hmm. that he really is acting that way. But when there is like the Legion of Superheroes aspect is brought into it and you mm. do have one of them is a shape changer. Yeah. Oh. I, I'm worried that they're oh. going to do a switcheroo. Oh, God. I didn't even see. This is where your knowledge of the Legion really does come in. Because like, I'm like, I saw the Legion ring at the end of season three. And I'm like, okay, I know what that is. But I know basically nothing about the Legion of Superheroes other than who. It was also at the start of episode like, one, wasn't it? Like at the premiere mm-hmm. episode of the season, we saw the ring again. While they were flying off to Mars, or am I making that up? Uh, I we we've seen them around. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're lurking around. They're like monitoring the timeline or something. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. definitely involved in some way. Um, but you know, God, I you might be right. <laughs> and um, just like that, yeah. he hasn't interacted with any like with anyone else since he's gotten back. I don't know. It, 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 and how did he get back before everyone else did? Yeah. No, I refuse this conspiracy theory. Stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. L- like I say, I want it to be an you know, exploration of his grief and trauma. Yeah. Well, and, he did break and up with his girlfriend. He interacted with her. Yeah. Well, a, a little bit, but only to break up with her. True. <laughs> right. Like exactly. only to keep her away, which would also make sense if we are dealing with trauma, like that he would mm-hmm. react that way. But I, I am worried that they're going to pull a switch there. Like, like I said, that's, I don't know. I'll take off my tinfoil hat. I'd be no, no. For now, it's a good exploration of it. I, I had I'm been nervous. thinking, I had been wondering, I mean, because basically Frank was like, hey, why is Beast Boy back on Earth before everyone else? And I'm like, right, because they destroyed the Transwarp hub. Why is he back? And now I'm like, how about, I think you're probably right. So I don't know. <laughs> this uh, is disturbing. <laughs> I hope it's a fake moving, out. <laughs> moving right along from ours. Um, there are just so many glottal stops in that whole thing. It's a challenge to deal well, with. How will people know you're from space if you don't have extra apostrophes for no reason? 
I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, well, we haven't discussed Connor. My poor Connor's gone. Oh, Con- <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Let's address Connor. Connor is like dead. Maybe I don't know. They did a really good job of setting that up. I thought by showing all the reasons in which it was showing him being vulnerable and stuff, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. giving him meaningful things to do before he died. In this, I don't know. What do folks think about Connor dying? Question mark. I mean, a part of me is glad that he's away from Megan. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just doing that for the God haters out there. I'm trying to appeal, <laughs> appeal to the markets. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I mean, I love, I, I like Connor. It took me, he was like one of my least favorites upon uh, initial viewing of like the first two seasons. So like my, it was been, it's been a journey, my growing affection for him. So like, it really like hurt me. And the, I just thought it was really heartbreaking. And I love the, the aspect I love about the season is how it feels like every subsequent story arc is like a ripple effect. It feels like his death is really felt. It feels yes. respected, even though, you know, it's, we know it's probably not, it's not going to last, but, um, it feels serious. It feels, it feels weighty the way that, you know, when Wally went, you know, it felt like we were contending with something. Which I like. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah, any thoughts I, on? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It, it is another thing where for me, like the severity, I love how the story is treating it as though it is real. It never felt as real to me just because you have the introduction of the Legion of Superheroes characters Mm. and, you know, there is this whole thing where they end up hanging out in the future with Superboy a bunch in comic books. And so there's part of it that's like, well, that's clearly what's going on. But that is one of the things that this series has done so well, really, from the start is acknowledge superhero fans expectations and then subvert them in terms Mm -hmm. of existing storylines and that is something that definitely continues in this arc it has one of my favorite i don't know uh, one of the things that the series has done since the start like the first season seems like it was basically made for a target audience of me specifically (laughs) in terms of it is taking characters from uh, Peter David and Todd Knox, Young Justice, and mm. plugging them into Teen Titans stories from the 60s uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I just love. But then the second season takes a story arc that I'm like almost everyone else, not a huge fan of, the Invasion storyline, <laughs> and made me like it more than that initial series, which I had really liked. Uh, and in this, it's and then you get that with the outsiders. This, my, one of my favorite aspects of that was taking the taking the mantle of traitor off of Terra and putting it on Brion. Um, I think that made yeah. so much more sense, and it really subverted expectations of that character, and was really interesting. And then in this season, you get some indications that they're going to do something else with it later on with Mary Marvel with the countdown to final crisis. I think that's what they're going for with her. Yeah. But you also get the subversion of the killing joke uh, and that story arc actual meaning in a way that it hadn't like it's taken what, what I think of as an incredibly flawed storyline and fixing some of the worst aspects of it and giving agency to Barbara Gordon and I love what it did there. I will so if I could just add um, on that killing joke, I also feel like it was also responding to the movie um, in terms of like trying to give agency to Barbara this this go around and like 
developed Mar- that story. Mm-hmm. DC made a movie of Killing Joke. For folks who don't know what we're talking about, Killing Joke is the comic in which um, Barbara, it's Alan Moore and Brian, Brian Boland. Boland. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in which we actually, like, Barbara Gordon gets paralyzed by the Joker and it's complete fridging and nobody gives a fuck about her or her agency and it's all mm-hmm. about Batman. And um, it's really frustrating. And then they went and they made a movie of it without kind of updating it to address any of the feminist critique that has happened mm-hmm. with the book. And, and I'm like, yeah. and they made it worse. Yeah, they, they like made, made it worse. Fangirl of like uh, Bruce Wayne and like just put them in a sexual relationship. And it's just it so like gross. a whole lot of mess. Yeah. Yeah, and like so now instead we get a new story for how Batgirl became Oracle and became paralyzed. Then in which it's one where she has agency and is being like a hero in it mm-hmm. and saving a young woman. So yeah, from her and I, I I really mm-hmm. I really liked that and I liked how it did that and I liked how it takes this existing storyline that is in the mind of people already. I think and switches it and fixes it in a lot of ways. And I. I thought that was really interesting. I also do really quickly want to plug because I just reread it. Uh, my friend Osvaldo Oyola on his page, The Middle Spaces, mm-hmm. did an article about the queer subtext in A Killing Joke, and it's really good. Oh, that's so great. He is a fucking genius critic. He's been on my show once, and um, folks should definitely read anything he puts out. So mm. thank you for letting me know that one came. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Croc sisters story arc here. Um, it felt like a bit of a relief to get back to Earth and deal with like things happening underneath the sky that was not red. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I've always found Artemis and Jade's relationship to be interesting. I feel like Sportsmaster as a character, like, I feel like he could have a little, not nuance to make him a more sympathetic. I have no interest in that whatsoever, but nuance in terms of his original motivations. Like I kind of want to know like why he's such a piece of shit, which again, not to forgive him because there's no excuse, but just, I don't know. It's just sort of, it's like, I'm a piece of shit because I'm a piece of shit. Like, okay. Um, but it, this really fleshed out some of their backstory of the sister's relationship with each other, showing why she was motivated to take such risks to try to save orphan. God, I hate that alias for Cassandra Kane, um, and you know, why she's taking a gamble on whether or not Vandal Savage's daughter, hi, spoiler, no, of course she's not the traitor, or Onyx, a young woman we've never heard or seen before, is the traitor from the League of Shadows. I'm like, it Onyx is the real one, guys. I love I don't know how this is a debate. Like and Onyx is great. I love her. Yeah. I love her like anarchy queen. I love her. <laughs> That, what do you think of that moment where she's like explaining her origin on Infinity Island and she's like saying her grandpa, who was, you know, basically a golden age superhero, yeah. the amazing man. She's like, you know, he was always more Booker T than Malcolm X. And I just couldn't I, deal with that. So I left him when I was 11. I'm I, like, not when you're 15, because that feels like 15. That does not feel like 11. That was the moment <laughs> like, that I added her to my mood board. I was like, yes, queen, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I just I just I was like okay give I need I need a three episode arc four episode arc about that backstory I mean that's not so cool just like yeah I I I really love that character and I was and just speaking about the story arc in general I was glad that we got some time with Artemis because it felt like we just don't know what she's been up to uh or her mental space as much well or maybe I just wanted to get more of that and mm-hmm. I really love the exploration with her sister. What I love about that story is that it really is interested in like um, 
paralleling uh, Cheshire and Artemis and also with their parents because like you were saying Taskmaster uh, was saying hey I'm a piece of shit but also their mother also always has that narrative was like hey I was also really horrible and having that idea of that fear that Cheshire of like becoming like her father when in essence what she's doing is becoming like her mother her mother who thought that the best option was to back away, but then went on to regret that and seeing that mm-hmm. sort of, but then seeing Artemis being the person who in a way parallels their father a bit more in terms of like, literally now she's leading kids and she's, she spent some time guiding children, being a taskmaster herself, but finding a better way to do it. And, um, you know, them trying to like, re- like, you know, f- uh, enable a way for them to like see each other in a real way uh and in a way like develop the relationship that their parents never were able to you know in terms of like being human beings um i love that i loved i love that story arc it felt like that one felt like it had a lot of heart in it you know it felt like mm-hmm. that was one that you know they really wanted to get out there and yeah i i really like i think that i love zatanna uh <laughs> and i love the kids but i think maybe that is what i'm walking away with like being the arc that i remember from this season uh yeah for now yeah, yeah. I, I think it was the one that felt the most satisfying to me as mm-hmm. like it, it also I think felt most like previous seasons to me mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, 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 um, right. And but I I like that there is that diversity of storylines going on. Like yeah. you have I think for the fourth season, that's the right time for the world to feel like a fully fleshed out enough place that you can tell so many different kinds of stories in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard the description of Star Trek that by this point, Star Trek is a a place rather than a franchise where it's like, Mm. yeah, you can have a murder mystery here. And I feel like Young Justice has reached that point now Mm. where it has developed its own universe to the point where you can plug different genres of story into it. And that's one thing that I think is interesting about the separate story arcs telling different stories aspect of it. Although I will agree with what you said earlier. I think that the murder mystery plot in the first four episodes did seem like there's a little bit too much here. (laughs) Hmm. um, Well, I was just going to say that if I could just extend that point a little bit, I think that's also a trait uh, to go back to a conversation we were having before we hit record uh, with DC animated shows in general is that they really are interested in playing with their world, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, in a way that I find really interesting and in a a way that's really varied. And I think that's something that the show is also unafraid of uh, when you were talking about like the, mix of genres not genres but maybe like story arcs and plots that they feel comfortable going into and complicating their history um you know i I compare it to a show that uh me i think i talked to alana some time ago about um legends of tomorrow which is another dc Mm. show that kind of uh is very different but like operated operates in this way where it's a character-led show that you know allows them to sort of plop into different stories and um shade it in an interesting way I, I totally agree. I ended up really liking Legends of Tomorrow, like the mm-hmm. first two seasons. I, I feel like I was a lobster being boiled yeah. in the goodness you of need, the show. If like you're going to watch that show, skip the first two seasons. <laughs> they, 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 raised, they raised the quality yeah. so gradually over time that like, they're really, like I watched the first two seasons. I, I like borderline hate watched them. It's a different show. It's a completely yeah. different it, show. It, it, like, it's like I was watching it because it was so bad for the first couple, but I was like, ah, I know these characters. And then there was a point where I actually turned to my wife and was like, wait a minute, is this good? 
Like it went from bad to that good, is, bad, crazy fun that is to the actually good. Um, yeah, you need. To, I should if have you're, asked. Yeah, if you're if you're getting into the show or like you're interested at all, and I definitely think you should be interested, is start with season three, episode one, and keep going. Don't go back unless. Like, you're all up to date, and you're like, I really miss these characters. I want to see them when they thought they were an Arrow show, when they thought they were Arrow, you know? Uh, well, which yeah. I don't know why so you want I don't that. Know. No, you don't. That's, you really is Walmart Batman. But, like, for me, I don't know what I don't know what season it was, but I made the mistake of watching the episode where they go, and it's in the early 80s in London, and it's punk stuff, and I'm like... This is all completely ahistoric because this band absolutely sounds like a 90s punk band and not an early punk band and people's clothing is all wrong. Yeah. And no, I will not just let it go. And I'm You started friend, too like, late. I was just like, no, you can't do this. This is bad history. Good day, sir. <laughs> Not, I mean, you need to me. you need to like start from like uh like I say start from season three episode one because then you'll like get get into the vibe of like being like okay J Edgar Hoover is a robot apparently and that's good <laughs> okay <laughs> like, that but sense. if like they don't acknowledge the damned as like a central punk band in the devolution of the music <laughs> then I just can't take the show seriously so anyway moving along uh I I would you know the uh the two sisters storyline had two things that I thought were really interesting. One of them is it keeps bringing up all these parallels to classic literature. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, while, while we were gone, Artemis Croc became an English professor, which Lord knows how she had the time to do that <laughs> while also superheroing, but you know, good for you, honey. And um, I like to think you know, that the, it's it, like yeah. a uh, witness protection thing. where it's like <laughs> The government set her up with a job. So it's like, Oh, and I'd like to be tenured, please. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, so like, the, of course, the books that she's having folks read are all high school books, not college books. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting because that's the audience, right? Yeah. So she's running a she's running a college class and it's like, it's a high school class. And I have to just be like, right, Ilana, you were grown up. Stop caring. <laughs> um, but like, what did you think about the decision to name specific episodes after specific books and its use of those quotes in the series? Like, there's always been the Alice through the looking glass Stuff Mm -hmm. happening because her sister's name is Cheshire. And like now we kind of get a bigger picture of why that was. Um, And I thought that that was a really interesting one. The quote that they pulled out from Tale of Two Cities was an extremely powerful quote, very well deployed. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know, like the Maya Angelou caged, why know the caged birds saying things? Like, how do we feel about these decisions? Does it earn them? I, to me, and this is from, you mentioned that those are high school books, not college books. That is the last time I read those books was when Mm -hmm. I was in high school. And so, like, I remember so little of them. Specifically, I know why the caged bird sings. I remember, I remember the general themes. I remember the title. And I remember that it had slang for genitals that I was unfamiliar with. (laughs) Um, and we couldn't even look I'm it pretty... up back in those days, guys. There was no internet right. for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I but mean, yeah, I, I sort was... of feel like if you're going to reference those books, like you have to be taking the subject matter of those books seriously. Yeah. And I, you know, I and I feel like the show is seriously interested in Alice through the looking glass and it always has mm. been. Tale of Two Cities, like, I felt like that quote was pretty powerful and decent and how it was used, but, like, I don't know how much the show is actually dealing with the questions of revolution. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. But the Maya Angelou one, I'm really just like, can you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, you could make licks if you want to like stretch, stretch, stretch yourself to, to do that. I mean, like, and the show ends with Cheshire going back into the cage, right? Uh, her and Onyx. Um, they're going yes. back. Yeah. So it's like, and it's all about like healing and like evolving and finding sort of a new space. Uh, and finding a new way. And, you know, those are very much the themes that were running through Maya Angelou's autobiographies, especially that one. So, uh, and also it's all about like healing your past and healing your trauma. Um, and so uh, you can make your links. I mean, I don't know whether they have cool. to do it. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, if they're, I'm supportive. I mean, if you're going to give the Maya Angelou estate some money, if you can, <laughs> then do it. <laughs> I hope, yeah. I hope well, no, so. I, think you, I think you've made it feel legitimate to me. So thank you. Mm. And actually, one of my other questions for this is simply, why is it that we're supposed to think it's a good thing that Cheshire is now going to be on Infinity <laughs> Island hanging out with Rachel Ghoul and Sensei, like <laughs> her former abusers? Why, why is this a positive development? Because he's changed. <laughs> yeah, he had the white switch redemption, you know? <laughs> It's now he's good, despite all of the things that he's done. He had that uh, alignment switch put on a different jersey. So now he's the good guy. And, you know, I'm sure that there's nothing at all sinister about Jason Todd just hanging around there in a mask, completely concealing his identity, basically never saying any words and carrying a child that may or may not be his dad's. Mm. Um, oh, and did we see Talia with that baby at the end? I'm just oh, yeah. No, that baby is got, that baby is Damien. The only question is, is Batman his dad or is Jason Todd his dad? Ooh. I mean, that, you know, that Batman in this world, you could tell he's a bit of a freak. He, he, it's his kid. That is his child. <laughs> I I I will say I did like uh, that they turned Black Spider into just evil Spider-Man. So like, good. That was really fun. <laughs> and they cast a voice actor who plays Spider-Man on other shows to be the voice oh, actor for him. I didn't catch him. that. <laughs> so I yes, I Googled that. it this time because I was like, he really sounds like a Spider-Man. No, he's a Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> what a fun character. God. <laughs> and Rictus is fucking terrifying. I'd never seen her before. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's a she in the show. I checked. I also had not figured that, which is pretty cool. But that's a recent villain, and she is like recent to the comics, and she is yeah. fucking terrifying. I also like Shade. I just like Shade just being creepy in a corner and just like popping people out. I, <laughs> I do too, and it made me very happy when he when he turned like. <laughs> Uh, when he turned neutral, I yeah. guess. At the end. Yeah, he went freelance. Freelance. Right. Uh, yeah, just like, it's like, oh, yeah, I should reread those Starman yeah. comics. I want him to get, like, <laughs> him and the wizard should just go around being anti-heroes from now on. That would be cool. Oh, totally. I like no, I love how in the show, and I think that comics should do this. Like, I'm always a sucker for when, I'm not a sucker for when, you know, villains become good guys. But I'm a sucker for when a villain can, like, put it aside for a minute to deal mm-hmm. with, like, I have to save the world. That's where I keep all my stuff. Yeah. I prefer when the villains also are like, I will save the world. I'm also going to steal this ruby, but I am going to fight off the alien invasion. The Frost solution. We love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we're just going to do both of these things, and that's fine. And I feel like Wizard, prop, they don't show you Wizard also stole some jewels, but, like, I just hope he did also steal some jewels while saving the Earth. <laughs> I hope um, so too. I, and I hope he like, I don't know, bonked a couple of like heroes in the head before he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I, um, I'm sure that the show, if it continues to exist, will return to the Infinity Island mm. and Rajal Ghoul material because it feels like the League of Shadows and them are really central to the stories 
going back to the beginning of everything. And, um, you know, I mean, like this, this is also really tied to the Vandal Savage. And boy, was this a season of Vandal Savage origin stories. Yeah. Like I had no idea that Vandal Savage, who is the biblical Cain, was also the actual Babylonian god Marduk, <laughs> which of course makes sense because Marduk is the father of Naboo in their mythology, mm-hmm. in actuality. Oh. <laughs> Mind blown. Mind blown. Wow. Um I, right? Before we move on into that arc, I do just want to point out uh just I you know, um I knowing about DC continuity gives me so little in life, but I was <laughs> able to pull out that I it did help me piece together. Oh, uh Nightwing and Barbara Gordon are dating again. <laughs> oh, because how do you know that they're dating again? Jason Bard says that um well Jason Bard is a character who was in 70s DC comics and was dating Barbara Gordon. And when he is introduced to Cheshire, he says that my, yeah, my ex introduced me to her when she got back together with her ex. So I think we could piece together that Barbara Gordon is dating Nightwing from that. (laughs) Uh, I don't and, like that. Yes. I don't like that. Stealing yeah. it from Midnighter, how dare she? Mm. Enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Midnighter isn't in this yet. Can you imagine? Which... Can you imagine that happening? <laughs> no. I, <can't. laughs> I mean, they like, they have queer characters, but they don't really do too much with it, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but they are there a little. Which feels odd for DC, definitely... doesn't it? Yeah. It should be a lot more explicitly gay at all times. It really I should. mean, they have non-binary Halo, which, mm-hmm. like, you know, guys, we did a whole episode about season three. Go back and listen to it. Um, but, you know, they have a non-binary character. I think that um, uh, Forger is also basically non-binary. And we mm-hmm. have an Aqualad who is queer and Blue Jay, Bluebird, whatever her name is. Harper Rose, also queer. <laughs> but... um Tracy Thurston is queer in the comics and is dating a boy here, and that's fine because, like, mm-hmm. we exist, but just another character maybe they'll acknowledge in some way. But, like, yeah, there should be more gay characters. What What do you guys feel like about, like, who was your favorite newly introduced character in this season? Or one or two or whatever. It's Don't have to pick just one. Mm. You go first, Hope. <laughs> oh, gosh. A I, I, couple different answers. I mean, I... They didn't do a ton with the character, but just when there was the reveal that, oh, that is Jem, son of Saturn, and he has the same name. It's just such a weird, deep-cut character from DC Comics that that made me very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I, I liked that a lot. Um, it's I, I don't think she's a new character, but I liked the exploration of 13 a lot in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't get much from her before. We just like saw her before and not really right. anything about um, her personally. So if we're counting her as a new character, I liked mm-hmm, her definitely. a lot. I, I liked I liked almost all of the new characters that they introduced, except for honestly, Mary Marvel didn't do a ton for me. Mm. But I I, mm. I do like that she referenced uh Talkie Tawny, the the talkie <laughs> yes. tiger. 
That was fun. I had to explain that to Frank. I was like, oh, she's on a tiger. Okay, let's pause while I explain <laughs> the Marvel family history to you, and then we can just play about Yeah, I, nobody well, needs and to do a that. Potential but, yeah. another introduction in a really brief moment. We get the introduction of Isis in this when she <laughs> and Ice show up in a pillar of flame for no goddamn reason. And I totally thought they were more like Legion of Superheroes characters until I looked into it and was like, wait, what? She's getting a new there? name, right? She must be. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> is Isis who showed up here the same Isis who's connected to the Shazam family and may have been the voice we heard off screen telling Mary Marvel to turn evil? That was Granny. Granny wasn't it? Granny goodness. I think oh, that was Granny. Granny. Yeah. Oh, I feel stupid. Daddy Why is isn't she here. dead yet? <laughs> Kill Granny. Oh my god. Yeah, I fucking love really Granny. Ought to. Well, I didn't hear Ed Asner's voice. Like, isn't he usually? Mm-hmm. doing that he was playing uh um kent nelson's voice but i i don't know like i don't think i think i didn't realize that that was granny because i don't think it, it sounded like i Ed think Asner. it was uh it was in the credits i might be wrong about that like imdb or something so i know someone said it is like the granny was credited okay. as granny um well, like look they might have uh recorded that after ed asner's death after he died i know this might have been one of his last performances he's such a wonderful voice actor and human being and leftist and all the important things Mm. uh uh, the characters that i liked um i you know what i'm gonna go not not to be controversial but i liked mary (laughs) Mm -hmm, me too i i think part of what i didn't like about her i Mm -hmm. don't think that her characters like i don't think she her arc was given enough space to breathe yeah, where it's she gets her warning like, "Hey, please don't take our powers without asking." And then in like the next scene, <laughs> she does it. I feel like there needed to be more of a ramp up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of me also is just nervous because I don't like. And this this is again this is this is a me problem because mm-hmm. they have done such a good job of fixing aspects of storylines that I didn't like. But if they are going the countdown to final crisis route with the Mm -hmm. character, which it seems like they are, I just hate so much the Desaad is inside of her making her do bad things and turning her into a weird magic dominatrix story arc that they did in that, that I think I maybe kept the character at arm's distance because of that. Mm. Well, I'm sure like if they have her going bad, it's not going to be in a way that's as... A sexist as what we saw mm. in the comics you know that's the thing yeah. i loved the decide because look i'm like the biggest fourth world fan i love the decide cameo on mars where decide is basically like listen all of you guys being racist is vastly entertaining to me because you are all the same anyway here's a bomb <laughs> i'm like thank you decide is like this is so much fun because this is so fucking stupid i, mean, I love um, chaos agent yeah yeah totally and that i mean and for mary like i i totally hear you i hope they don't make it like Hey, look at this bad girl, Mary Marvel, yeah. and they actually treat it seriously. But um, I enjoyed that messy bitch. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my, my I was reticent that it was going to turn into a really would turn into another one of those stereotypes about magic as addiction uh, story arc, mm-hmm. which is where I was like, I was like, oh, but that. By the same time, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm interested in seeing how this show might do it or attempt it because I kind yeah. of like I will say I think the show has like probably fostered a lot of goodwill in me. To see, but at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. I've been burnt before. <laughs> Not to mention yeah. Halo again, but you know, yeah, sure. Well, like, let's talk about everybody's actual favorite new character, who is mm-hmm. obviously Khalid, <laughs> aka 
Sec- our second Khalid, not like the original and the best, but, you know, the new Dr. Fate, Khalid. <laughs> My so tether. This, char- this character, you know, oh, there you go. This character is from the recent-ish Dr. Fate relaunch series. I loved that they introduced a Dr. Fate who was of actual, like, Egyptian origin and lives in Brooklyn and is in mm. medical school and, like, whose family home life story is so relatable to so many first-generation immigrants in America mm. right now and who has crazy stuff. And, like, the, the comic works in, and this is why I thought it was so cool, the comic takes place during, the beginning of it, it takes place during Hurricane Sandy, which is, like, a thing that I experienced. Mm-hmm. And um, so him sort of drowning and then coming out of drowning in his... Um, oh dream of like his his psychological trial they put him through i thought yeah. was that that's a callback to the comic and i, I like that visual and image for him yeah uh, i don't know like what how, how how much does everybody love i'm sorry not you khalid but you know <laughs> the other one um and his introduction as character you go first huh <laughs> oh um i i really dug it uh i i am a kind of of two minds where i feel like there were some things about the character where it like it seems like almost so blunt the way that they are getting their themes across with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, seeing how people react when things aren't made that blunt, I am more forgiving of it. Like seeing <laughs> how many fucking racist X-Men fans there are. I'm like, well, yeah. I guess you can't do even a tiny bit of subtlety. So go forth with the bluntness. We just okay. we just we just want X-Men to not be political anymore. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> take it back to the way it used to be when Chris Claremont was right. Apolitical. Yeah. No, it's true though. His monologue where he explains, like, look, I'm trying to satisfy both my family's push for me to serve my legacy and my family's push for me to serve my career. Mm-hmm. These are like I'm tr- I, you know, I'm a I'm an actual Muslim, I'm a person of faith, and I'm also doing magic, but I can do both of these things. I'm always a sucker, I've realized, for characters who are religious and progressive yeah. and are like, we can do a science and also believe in God. And I'm like, me too. Um, <laughs> and like so and and he, you know, he's like talking about like I can handle these complexities. Like, mm-hmm. really, it's okay. Um, but it's true. It's it's a monologue that's delivered as a monologue, but it's a really well-written monologue. So I was like, sure. It, yeah. it is. And it's another example of this series where it's just like, I don't know, subverting everything that I was taught about writing, where it's like, no, it is more effective when they tell instead of show. Yeah, I mean, I think with that character in particular, the we needed we needed a second with him to just sit down and tell us his perspective, mainly because we've not had that from a character like that in, well, in, I won't say in a long time, but very rarely we've had a character like that telling us, this is who I am, this is where I'm situated, this is what I think, this is what I feel, which I think um, ended up being a really powerful choice to go with like, the simplest sort of path for the show. Um, but, um, I mean, uh, I, th- I know earlier I said what I really enjoyed about this season is that it feels like there's a bit of a corrective energy going on within. And I do feel like with the character of Khalid, they really wanted to um, address the criticisms that they got from certain members mm. uh, about their handling of specifically islam as it relates to the character of halo and and there by when i'm talking about what i'm talking the handling of it i think one of the biggest critique is that it felt like um they were trying to keep it at an arm's length um and uh, it ended up just sort of reinforcing some harmful sort of images and stereotypes 
But with the character, with this character, it really felt like they were interested in like, not only just exploring his relationship with his identity and with his religion and his religious relationship with his identity, but also to really incorporate that into the world, which I really appreciated. It, the idea of a Muslim person using magic, you know, is really interesting. And the show like explores that, well, touches upon it. And, um, it seems to be like really interested in, um, thinking about that, but also like it added, it adds, levels of complexity to the character beyond that and that he is the one that sees what Zatanna has done yeah. uh, in terms of this Dr. Fate stuff, uh, mm-hmm. her plan, and he's the one that necessarily pushes up against it. But he, uh, you know, we, we see that this is a character with complexity and interesting insight and he feels... He feels full. Uh, maybe that's me just uh, <laughs> reading a lot into him because we share a name. But, <laughs> you know, um, it's a character that I, I feel myself really excited. I'm really excited about. Yeah. Him. How do you feel about losing him to him being a Dr. Fate who is not like in control of himself because he's basically Naboo, like basically as soon as we finish getting introdu- introduced to him? See, I really like that because, oh. I mean... Uh, the thing is, we have this whole, uh, it changes like seasonally or monthly, or whatever, right? So it's not like he's taken off the board completely, but, um, it also adds, I mean, <laughs> it adds attention in his character, right? Something that now he has to deal with, uh, mm. and the secret that now he, he shares with his mentor, uh, that, you know, I, I mean, I just think it just adds shades of complexity to him. You know, he's not, he's, his life is, not doing well at all times, which I think is what we want out of a character slightly tortured, right? Right. Hmm. That's true. What do you, do you think that we know that Zatanna planned it all, so to speak, in mm-hmm. terms of trying to get a team of people together so she could get her father to not be a full-time prisoner of, of Dr. Fate. But do we think that she like somehow created the chaos Lord's situation to that end? Or is that a coincidence? Oh, I- I had read it as coincidence, but I, I now need to take time to think about what you said because it hadn't occurred to me. I hope so. I hope she created it because, oh, like, wow. okay, I do because I, mean, I, I don't. I, I mean, that's my thing with characters in general. I think I don't want them to be, especially hero- heroic characters, superhero characters. I want them to be a bit messy. I'd like mm-hmm. to see Zatanna, especially because you know we're dealing with the idea of the realms of magic, the idea of like you can. Uh, take something without something happening to, you know, we're dealing with like these sort of interesting sort of themes that, um, I think will, could add really interesting sort of colors to the story and the idea of like Zatanna really making the choice to do something, you know, that's a bit dark, a bit Justice League dark, you know, is, I think hmm. really cool. And the fact that, you know, she's a character who is good, but she is maybe a bit ruthless at times in this version, which, you know, I like. <laughs> hmm. What did you guys think about the, parallel to Khalid um, in Zatara and his exploration of his yes! Christianity. Mm. I am so all about it. That's like, <laughs> that's like one of my big notes. It's like, how great was that? So for me, like, you know, my, my, my own family being like, you know, whole po- you know, post Holocaust refugees to America, mm-hmm. like thinking about the way in which the specific immigrant experience of like, you know, people who are white in this country, um, I mean, we don't know when the hell, in terms of the real world, Zatara, or why, you know, Zatara immigrated to America. Like, I don't know, maybe he was like an awesome communist who had to leave the country <laughs> because the fascists came back to power. It's Italy, man. That shit happens all the time. 
Um, but, you know, like I loved him talking about like as an immigrant, I related to Superman because I always want people to remind mm-hmm. people that Superman is an immigrant. Yeah. Um, and him talking like about, yeah, like I can have be a person of faith and also do magic. And like, I, I don't know. I thought that was a really cool parallel to connect immigrants from earlier waves of immigration to America to people who are immigrants from current waves of immigration yeah. to America. Yeah. And like with, um, I mean, that, that sort of section where it was, uh, he was just talking about his history. It's all about like his battle over trying to like pin down his identity, right? He only finds out who he is when he thinks at the end, he was like, Oh, I feel like I've arrived. Everything I've done, I've arrived to this moment to save my daughter. Uh, and it's all about how he feels so fractured all the time. And I love that you see Khalid in the flashbacks as well. Uh, yeah. being taught by Zatanna and like what you said about the idea of like this link this magic almost being a link between these immigrants um you know i think it's really cool it's pretty interesting too that uh they did make the parallel between superman and zatara just because they both premiered in the same issue Mm. oh Oh, wow i I didn't know that that's cool Mm -hmm. oh i remember that is i wanted to make a point about Khalid being uh, biracial as well Mm. which i think is an interesting sort of parallel about like of bringing this idea of diasporic identities that links Zatara and um, Khalid. Anyway, that's <laughs> finally remembered it. That's it. <laughs> oh, Hub, got a question. Is Zatara Italian in the comics or do we not know? I don't or... think so. Um, I, I mean, I it, it's possible if that is something that is part of his character, it was something that was retconned in later because mm-hmm. I think just when his character premiered like in 38, that probably just wouldn't have been an option so I'm, yeah I'm sure. no they're the bad guys back then apparently they would have been like how dare they have this <laughs> member of the axis it's like no that's why he's here he's here because it's bad ah anyway um okay just curious about that but yeah i i you know i always enjoy when they do things like connected back to old or superhero history and you're like it's the justice society or something mm. um and fun seeing those legacy characters in there uh, but yeah, oh and my my random cameo that made me happy for no explicable reason was seeing looker show up for like two seconds just wearing that? a cool outfit oh jeez, i missed she that. helped yeah it was like two seconds so when they're trying to figure out if onyx or um cassandra mm-hmm. vandal savage's daughter whatever is the mole mm-hmm. they call looker because they're like we need a really good telepath yes. and so she just sort of shows up and she's like yeah, I don't fucking oh. know. But she's there with a really great outfit and like mm-hmm. with her like kind of random accent. And yeah, I, I thought that was Lilith. <laughs> of course, you thought that was Lilith. That well, how many your... red-haired characters can there be? Come on. I know how many red-haired psychics could there possibly be? I don't know. She open had a that giant eyeball. Me. Please don't open that wound for me. I don't want to talk about her. <laughs> But I, I'm actually, maybe I'm wrong, but like she had a giant eye on her chest and that's like mm-hmm. a looker thing. So oh, I'm pretty it sure. It totally unless, makes sense unless, that it would be. Okay. Also shout unless out to Madame Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Madame Xanadu was so great. She's like, okay, please pay me now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. They didn't have as much of a, for, of a crossover with fourth world stuff this season, other than the Desaad appearance, which I'm okay. I, as like a hardcore Jack Kirby person, I feel like this show has handled Kirby inspiration way better than most things have. And I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't need the Kirby stuff to be in every season, you yeah. know, so I'm not not complaining, but it was something I noticed. Well, yeah. and they did bring in perhaps as a substitute for the fourth world stuff. You get the demon and Jason blood in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. I loved how terrified everybody was at the transformation, <laughs> but they don't always show you like 
they're like, you know, they talk about like the daemon is a is a cannon and you can't decide where he fires, but just the physical body horror of and everybody responding with appropriate levels of horror to this transformation, I thought was really powerful. Yeah, he's almost always in the animation, at least treated as a, like a comic relief type character. And I think mm-hmm. this really changed that and I appreciated it. Yeah. And they did a good job with the Kirby design, which is truly one of the best Kirby mm-hmm. designs. And there's so many Kirby mm-hmm. designs that exist. Um <laughs> But yeah, I loved how we talked to Mary Marvel and he was like, you have a powerful being inside you. Sniff, sniff, sniff. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, it's just some good for set foreshadowing in there. Um, and, you know, they kept the rhyming speech, which I love. Mm-hmm. I think I think they kept the rhyming speech. I, I don't think it was always, but they did have him say at least a couple of rhymes. OK, I might right. be wrong about that, but I no, I, I think you're right. It wasn't consistent, but it was in there. More rhymes. That's um, our main note. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More rhymes from the demon. Um, I guess we should sort of talk overall about like what do we think of this final arc before the break, which is the arc in which it's the Chaos Lords versus the Lords of Order. For anyone who doesn't know, that whole storyline is that that whole like uh, not theological that whole like mystical idea is something very much taken from the work of Michael Moorcock for his Eternal Champion series. There might be even I mean it's based on global mythology or what have you, but um, there might be predecessors to Moorcock that I'm unaware of. But to me, I most closely associate this with Michael Moorcock um, having the Chaos Lords and the Lords of Order and how. Order isn't good and chaos isn't bad. You actually need a balance to have things work mm-hmm. and aligning, uh, you know, showing them like, like actually dark side, the, like the fascist Nixon from space <laughs> is all about order and is a dictator and is actually the worst fate, I think is an important note to reiterate with people because we do overall see agents of order as being good and agents of chaos as being bad when we're looking at this conflict. Mm. It, of space diamonds. It did seem very odd that they had Vandal Savage be aligned with chaos when his like his whole thing is fascism. Like I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay. Um He it, was palling around with Naboo for a while, so let's just let's just talk about that. <laughs> who is his son? Who is his son? Because he is the actual Babylonian god. Oh, god. Yeah, the whole Lords of Order, Lords of Chaos thing got retconned into Dr. Fate's character back in the 70s uh, by Mark Pasco. Okay, then it's Um, definitely a Michael Moorcock thing if this happened in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it totally is. It was, yeah, it was it was done in a one shot uh, for first issue special, which saw the debut of Lady Cop, I would also just like to say, because (laughs) I like to bring up Lady Cop whenever I can, because can you imagine she's a cop, but wait. She's a lady. Bring her back. What? They did. There's a new comic that they're launching like really soon. Oh my God. I can't wait. It's from men though. So I don't even know how that would be. Yeah. I mean, uh, that feels appropriate though somehow. I mean, mean, it was initially written by uh, Robert Kniger. So. Oh Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the the Lords of Order, Lords of Chaos thing in the comic books. I haven't read a ton of Doctor Fate, so I've only like encountered it briefly. But it so often seems like chaos they just use as kind of a stand-in for evil, um, and it never quite fits right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I mean, I always like Doctor Fate. The fact that he's a bit of a mm-hmm. prick, you know, 
Um, yes. <laughs> I love Total that. Prick. The fact that like he doesn't like anyone. No one really likes him. He's a very much a last resort. Um, I'd like, it would have been nice if Chaos was just kind of nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Though I love Clarion. Don't get me wrong. I love, obviously. Oh, I love him. My favorite character. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love him showing up in prehistoric times wearing a 1920s <laughs> menswear. Actually, it was probably even borderline Edwardian. It was kind of a mix. Anyway, oh, yeah, he's a terrible that was a, Yeah, I was like, where? I was like, so I guess everybody else was just copying him. Yeah, fashion icon, on. Clarion. <laughs> um, I can't believe they killed the cat. I was not ready for that. Oh. Oh, everybody God. wants to have a baby Yoda. <laughs> They just wanted I to just, have a kitten. The kitten was so cute, but I Poor can't tinkles. believe they killed Tinkle. I was like, but he's a cat. You can't kill a cat in a show. You know, like they it's, couldn't kill Tinkle. And I hope they better not. They didn't kill Eagly and Peacemaker. Oh, so I yeah. can't believe they killed well, the cat in this. If they're going to kill a cat, too, they really should have had Wonder Girl come in and do it. There's oh been my a <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. For folks who don't know, in one of the very, I, you know what, Hob, I'll let you just do a quick aside about what the fuck that's about. Okay. In a very, in one of the original Teen Titans series, Wonder Girl got possessed by a witch and killed a cat with a noose. Um, and then yeah. since then, every time she gets mind control, it seems like Wonder Girl strangles another cat. <laughs> In some way, or tries to. Now, sometimes it's Beast Boy who's dressed up as a tiger or something. So it's more excusable in that case. But like, yes. it, whether it's like a saber-toothed tiger or a space alien cat, Wonder Girl has strangled like seven cats when she's does, been like, mind-controlled. Does Cheetah just like fear her? <laughs> I would assume so. Yes. I mean, she's an arch nemesis of her mentor, Wonder Woman. So that makes a lot of sense. But does she fear Wonder Girl more than she does Wonder Woman? <laughs> She should. You know, I've got to say. I'm into this, like, the whole time Wonder Girl is just like, is that cat Cheetah? Better kill her. <laughs> she's just, she's being uh, sure. I got to say, that makes me fall. I think I stand Wonder Girl now. Oh my gosh. I mean, uh, I, I love, I love, <laughs> I love a comic book woman who murders animals. <laughs> <That's, laughs> I love Emma Frost. She killed a horse. That's why I love her. That's true. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god she did kill butter rum you know what butter rum deserved it you should have seen his likes on twitter they were not good <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. problematic for the, yeah you didn't have not, access to google yeah. rum's google search history archive, that, go, that horse was into some shit go to the web archive trust me that is a dark hole that you know you don't want to go into butter rum was wrong butter rum was wrong <laughs> You know what? I totally don't remember who said, this is completely jumping. I don't remember who said the quote, buses happen. Like, I, I think that was, was Clarion or a good guy. <laughs> I, I think it must have been a good guy because Clarion doesn't know what a bus is because he called it a motorcycle. Yeah, he but, did. Um, That's I really the favorite love joke. the bus traveling. <laughs> this bus that has been in the show since season one, mind you. That just keeps showing up with the screaming children and the bus driver played by Kevin Michael Richards, who is so mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, Kevin Michael Richardson, who is so wonderful, um, just periodically showing up and everybody just screaming as this poor bus gets shunted through time and space. But like, I think somebody <laughs> says at one point, like, what was that, though? Eh, buses happen. <laughs> I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Oh, God. I love how also that was like our little reveal into like, oh, Connor might be still be around, you know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you used it well. Thank you. <laughs> 
I also, so do you guys think it was just a one-off joke that the bus driver was like, no, you were in the Justice Society. It's like, no, Justice League. Are they setting up more backstory for the bus? Is there like bus time travel or mention bus stuff? Or is that just a joke about Dr. Fate being in the Justice Society? I mean, at this point, I think everything is a scene. I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. <laughs> mm. Any thoughts about how wonderful the bus is and how traumatized those children were? <laughs> I'm glad they're going to see Black Canary for therapy. That's important. <laughs> yeah, but, I like that she's an actual therapist now. Uh huh. What is her success rate? Because Beast Boy is struggling. <laughs> uh. She's not seeing. I don't think she's proactive. <laughs> No, no, I support her. I like, I, I love, I just, I, I like Black Canary. I always wanted her to like do more on this show because she's so cool. She's one of my favorite characters. I love like the Justice League uh, animated uh, Unlimited shows. She was like Unlimited, favorite. yeah. Mm. She's one of my favorite in comics. So mm. I'm like, and in the shows and just, I'm, I, you know, in the, in the, in the comic, she is not a therapist, but I think yeah. it's a really cool decision for her. Yeah. Um, I love that they, they ended. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I was going to recommend to everybody find the Black Canary um EPs, they're on Bandcamp. They're really good. I forget the band that they did in conjunction with the books, but that, that's, yeah. that's really good music. I still play them whenever I can. But. And Brendan Fletcher, Brendan Fletcher was one of the writers of that particular Black Canary run on the podcast a million years ago. And yeah, talking with him is a pleasure. And mm. it's a really wonderful comic series. Yeah, I love that we end this part of the season with a grown man weeping while in therapy. Like how many com- how many cartoon shows are going to do that other than Relatable. Steven Universe? I guess. Oh, <laughs> yes. That that was so good. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> that yeah, um, yeah that, that that that's all I got on that. Night. That was one of my <laughs> favorite parts of the show. Honestly. I'm glad someone's getting therapy. Honestly, <laughs> uh, you know who's really needs it is like the entire Kent family, and I doubt that they're getting it. Yeah, I mean, also like that episode where uh, Superman was telling that kid, was it John? This uh, is probably John. Kent. About like, oh yeah, about like Connor being dead. I was just like, this is just a bit too graphic for this kid. Maybe just like, <laughs> why are you telling him your body will stop working one day? I'm like, no, that's not the conversation you should be having. Find another way. Yeah, uh, just sit him down, make him watch the Mr. Hooper episode of Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He got so graphic. He's like, there are body parts that will stop working one day. <laughs> and that's when people go forever. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> well, I think he's kind of trying to work through the concept himself because the idea of mm. people in the DC universe staying dead is probably something that he's like, I, I'm a little iffy on this myself. Let me talk it through. Have you um, tried uh, throwing a nail into one of those pools that bring people back? He'll be a bit weird for a couple <laughs> of minutes, but he'll be fine. <laughs> oh my god, for real. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I don't know. I, I like that this show has always had a Superman who is not, who is quite flawed in very Ooh. believable ways. Especially with and, Connor. But this show, this show had some serious, like, you know, like the, the horrible, like, exhibit, the bodies where prisoners of, where political prisoners from China are embalmed in fluids and displayed for the gawking eyes of mm. Americans and mm-hmm. uh, through exhibits. I mean, like, they really did an art installation out of the body of the security guard that the child murdered. And that was, like, way gorier than anything I expected to see on the show. Oh, uh, yeah. Quite, 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 quite graphic and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, a child was horrifying. Like, yes. little blonde children who are <laughs> smart and evil are always terrifying. Um, <laughs> I'm glad there was only one of her so that she couldn't speak in unison. 
Uh, I, <laughs> I, children speaking in unison is just terrifying. I, I don't yes. know how music teachers do it. <laughs> um but yeah no that character was chilling um and yeah the the flaw thing and its weird little smiley face Ugh. yeah good job making something really scary you know yeah I, yeah I feel like the show always hits it when it comes to the magic plots like mm. they seem like th- that's a good that's a good space for them the, and you know I've I've like been eager for as a town episode since how, when did the show start? <laughs> she was one of my favorite characters. She's the one like I was most familiar with. So I'm really glad that she it feels like she's getting a spotlight. I'm really excited yeah. for Rocket. I'm really excited for Rocket. Mm. Me too. Yeah, I have and no idea what they'll do. I, I I will say that is one of the things, like in the opening segment, like most of the characters that they show, first of all, not crazy about the new intro. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I they agree. do the focus on the characters that are in it, I'm like, well, we see like three of them. Is this like a George R. R. Martin thing? <laughs> like, are we going to get the second book? Is just going to be a focus on because um, <laughs> the second half as, of the season never coming. <laughs> as I think when I read almost any work of fiction, I am just consumed with the thought. Well, where's Aqualad? <laughs> Thank you. Which actually brings me to an important question: Huh? What's Aqualad up to? Probably. <laughs> so, I I mean. I wish that the series had given us a little bit more clues. We do see briefly that he is mourning Connor, which I appreciated, Mm -hmm. but like, that's all we get from him. So I am left to assume that, uh, he and Garth and probably Laguna boy and Lori Lamaris are all off. We don't know exactly the time frame this arc takes place in. So I think it all takes place over a three day aquatic teen appreciation day weekend. And <laughs> they're just having a really nice underwater barbecue, um, hanging out and, uh, trying to celebrate their aquatic teen heritage. Thank Maybe you. Neptune very- Jones um, depending on what their access to dimensional portals, I like to believe they could bring Namorita in there, uh, and just you know have a really nice aquatic teen appreciation day. Well, thank you very much for those who have not listened to the podcast uh, "Tighten Up the Defense" yet. Well, you'll have to learn that they will always tell you what Aqualad is probably up to off screen because he's not in nearly enough comics, as well as what I truly believe is one of the best fan fiction constructions that I've ever heard, which is the one where they say, what's Wong up to? Where, of course, uh, Doctor Strange's quote-unquote manservant is actually a pivotal person in um, American and international history. And so what he's up to off screen is usually something really influential and interesting and badass. So... I was gonna. I would have gone really dark for what Aqualad's up to right now. (laughs) Tell me, what's Aqualad up to right now? Hmm. Okay, so I'm imagining him in an underwater gay circuit party where <laughs> he's snorting lines yes. of, sea- of crushed up seashells because he's trying to grieve over Connor. <laughs> I mean, there's some precedent set for for Aqualads hanging out at underwater dis- crime discotheques. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like he's reconnecting with like Black Manta. You know, they're having a little like, you know, he's 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 comforting him. Is he alive? Did he die? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever it was, it was underwater. So I just don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. and no oh, plausible deniability. He can just say afterwards, ah, there was a there was a two-headed eel, so I was hypnotized. <laughs> Which also does sound like that is definitely a metaphor. I feel like he just blamed it on the white aqualad. He blamed it on the white aqualad. He's like, it's not me. What is this? <laughs> Actually, so speaking of like DC, like ways you know this is a DC production is like evil. Are there any evil gorillas in this? Oh, I don't know if there's been any evil gorillas this this season. So maybe this is not taking place in the DC universe. Hmm. Maybe there's like a gorilla that we're not seeing. They did spend a lot That's of time. What I have to assume there's a master. They were in the jungle, so they must have been like some master gorilla that's like plotting. It, maybe it just like all Rod took place seconds. behind the backdrop of an invisible gorilla city that is yes <laughs> that is concealing itself. Maybe Zod is in a vandal suit. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Actually, my, my I think one of my favorite like like throwaway jokes about DC lore was uh. The, I think it was I think it was Phantom Stranger who was narrating at this point, but he says Starro was no solution to Marduk's problems. <laughs> and look, Starro is never the solution to any problem. So take listen to the Phantom Stranger. Do not inv- just do not bring Starros <laughs> to Earth to help you with problems. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Poor Starro. <laughs> he just had his prime time moment some time ago. Let him be. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> This is all in the past, though, so it's okay. It's all in the past that's told to us by the Phantom Stranger slash Vandal Savage. Yeah. Who's also Marduk. Yeah, yeah, I've actually been watching documentaries about tide pools lately, so I now know that starfish <laughs> eat mussels, which is probably why he has so many conflicts with superheroes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I've had enough of this, and goodbye. Uh- <laughs> And with I, that, I, I should be punished for that. <laughs> Actually, How dare you! <laughs> I was going to go and take us to close, but I forgot. There's one. There's there's there are two important questions mm-hmm. that we have not discussed yet. Uh, one of them is, uh, what do we think about the fact that there's so many progressive absolute monarchies, or absolute monarchies characterized as being progressive, whether they are or not, in the DC animated universe? We have Mars, which is like moving towards progressiveness, even though there's been big issues. There's Queen Perdita. There is like even like King Brian and all that. He's like, please, like refugees, come to my country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, don't know. I think that's like a Genosha type thing that they're setting up there, though. I don't know yeah. if you can count mm-hmm. that as progressive. Oh, they portray it as being sinister, but like I'm kind of like, yeah, but what if it's not sinister? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, yeah, and you have Vandal Savages Atlantis, which they're, mm-hmm. they're like, no, no, I mean, like he was trying to do good stuff with eugenics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, even, but I mean, the earlier rulers of um, the the earlier rulers of I I was about to say Bialia, but it's a different fictional country. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning of season three, were like letting in refugees to the country who were not superpowered. They were just generally like dealing with a refugee crisis, I think, and like having a lot of immigrants. And that was one of the reasons why Halo or Gabriel, the one of the women who becomes Halo has her whole story. So I don't know. Thoughts about. Um, I think that with DC comics, it always made sense to me. The fact that the people, the humans in positions of power are usually Royals just because um, obviously the superheroes are meant to be gods. Right. So it felt like, Oh, the fact that they were dealing with like, um, I mean, and the way that those operate is like very much like, what am I trying to say here? 
I find it interesting the fact that they're dealing with like gods instead of like presidents because it feels like an interesting commentary about the fact that these are the people who are in power and this is how they use their power. And I hope that what the show is attempting to do is um, to do give us like an idea of like oh, of comparing these sort of kings and queens to uh, what is more directly what it is more directly like a society today, which is like. God, I'm babbling. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not babbling. I totally am with you. Here. I'm trying to say, like, I'm hoping that what they do is, like, use that as an allusion to billionaires today who are basically operating like kings and queens of the world and who are using mm-hmm. this idea of progressivism as a shield um, to let them do whatever they want to do. Uh, and I think that seems to... That is what I felt like the show is trying to deal with, this idea of, like, what is something progressive within within when it operates within the dominant systems of power that we are familiar with is that possible um i think that's the question i hope that's the question that the show is attempting to answer whether true progressive progressivism is possible um in these kind of reductionist structures but i don't know maybe that's me thank you (laughs) a bit too large or or whether it's like just a mask for Mm -hmm. uh maintaining power by and maintaining and consolidating power by like um with a smile on your face yeah with a smile on your face but also doing it by exploiting the fear of a powerful other yeah in the form of like superheroes or yeah and like we see that a lot i think with with the stories of how they've dealt with these sort of um um powerful people human beings um i think it's very much always it seems to a lot of times been about like doubting sort of their good intentions when it's at its mm. best. I find it's always really doubtful. It's really suspicious. Those stories I find always bring more true and more interesting for me. Um, and I hope that's where mm-hmm. they're going with Brian and um, just a general sort of treatment of the world. Yeah. I feel like hopefully the fact that every, all the, all the freedoms that can be so easily dialed back in Mars Mm-hmm. Makes people be like, no, you really can't have a progressive ruler. That's just not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. But then DC, of course, is super into having a very, very powerful United Nations, mm-hmm. unlike <laughs> the real world. Well, I will say the portrayal of the United Nations in this is a lot better than the last version of DC's United Nations that I read, which was the one where um, I think. It, the Joker was a UN representative of Iran in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> like, oh my god, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh no, I oh, keep no. forgetting that was part of the whole arc that killed Jason Todd. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what was Wonder Woman doing at the time? Why was she not effective <laughs> in the UN? <laughs> Why is the Joker there? <laughs> Well, I think in this show, that's supposed to be Donna Troy, mm-hmm. who's the UN ambassador and not Wonder Woman. But, I, you know, I mean, I, I think what the, what they're up to is they want to be able to tell stories that aren't just limited to America. Mm-hmm. And an easy way to do that is to have it be the United Nations. But they treat the United Nations like it's the federal government, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, that's not how it actually works. Uh, you know, and it comes from the history of like JLI and the Justice League International, and like having these superhero teams that they want to have sort of a world coalition for, and um, it would only make sense for that to be managed through the United Nations. Um, yeah. And yet, the whole thing is like we don't elect our UN delegate. Like this isn't the United, this isn't the EU Congress. Like none of this. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, they definitely do treat it like, oh, yes, the the UN has passed a resolution, and then that is just like a global mandate that everybody doesn't just, you know, ignore if they feel like. Yeah. Although it is, I, I would say it does make a bit sense when the UN also has like a roaming tower right above the earth of superpowered people who do that kind of do with their bidding. Uh, if we want to take it there, which, you know, this yes. should. Uh, yes. So yeah, I guess it, it could work, but um, they've never explained it. <laughs> fun with a panopticon, kids. If there's one thing you can take away, is this just a show where we have fun with a panopticon? Well, I want to thank my guests for joining me. Is there anything that we need to hit up that we have not hit up? Oh, I feel bad that the ship is gone now. <laughs> I miss the ship. Oh, I like yeah, that the too. ship got to retire. Yeah, I think she deserves a retirement. I like that she's like off having ship sex with like a bunch of others. I'm like, yes, right. she's in a real <laughs> retirement community. I'm like, just wrap it up and have fun, sis. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the the Mars equivalent of like putting your racehorse out to stud. <laughs> Oh no, is ship gonna get turned into glue? I hate that for me. <laughs> oh jeez. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> my R's. You can't touch the Mars and Jins. Oh my god. <laughs> also, I just feel like uh we should take a point a moment to like appreciate the fact that Mega Megan wasn't problematic this season. That feels like a gift <laughs> that we should embrace. And uh I want to celebrate that with my fellow Megan apologists. Thank you. <laughs> I, I respect you, and you're right. So. Thank you. I enjoy uh, her a lot, and I think it's cool that she continues to be one of the major characters of the series. I do, too. And I like the fact that she isn't always likable, that she's really complex. She's done some really bad things. Mm-hmm. I love Megan. She's, I think, one of the greatest characters from this show, if not the greatest, arguably. I love her. Well, tell our listeners where they can best keep up with your work online, Khalid. Um, you can find me on Twitter at alsoperp.com, A-L-S-O-P-U-R-P. Uh, I also have some of my writing on my website. Um, there's more coming. Um, I'm just trying to build a backlog before I start releasing it. Um, and that website is alsoperple.com. And um, I also, at the end of this year, will be releasing a comic book project with this great artist named Brianne uh, Johnson, who, and we're really, really excited about it, and is covering sort of uh, and it tracks um, queer people on a night uh, through various perspectives. And it's looking over these themes of queer community, queer utopianism, and how we see each other. And I'm really excited about it. And that should be out by the end of the year. So keep an eye out for that. Cool. And Hub, where can folks best keep up with your works? Um, I host the show Tighten Up the Defense, in which me and my brother go over when which me and my brother cover Teen Titans comics and Defenders comics in alternate weeks in chronological order because I am shit at branding <laughs> and I like those comic books um I also my wife and I host a Patreon only podcast what the duck a podcast most foul but with a w cuz he's a duck that's the full name of the show um which in which we talk about Howard the duck uh, and I am a writer for Garden Plots with Skeletor, in which Skeletor dispenses gardening advice. Uh, it's, I was a fan of the show before I started being a writer for it, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is about gardening advice in part, but it's also about all kinds of other stuff like <laughs> friendship and overthrowing Eternia and found family and, uh, 
Yeah, you should, wow. you should listen to it. Down to the turn. That fabulous. <laughs> I'm ready. And I like gardening. Yes. And as for me, I am on Twitter a little bit too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Stay tuned because we will have a Peacemaker episode with some really exciting Ooh, guests. Exciting. And of course, mm. yes, you know one of them. Um, and uh, we will mm. be having, you know, more coverage of comics and stuff like that. And we will we will be back to talk about the finale of um, season four when that happens. And perhaps you boys will join me. For I'd that. love to. I, I would be delighted to. Thank you so much for having Hooray! me. I love getting to have talk a- to you and hop. <laughs> It, oh, it was a wonderful time, and it was it was great to meet you, you too. Uh, Khaled, and you too. Yeah, I'm excited to binge all of your podcasts. <laughs> oh, shucks! Uh, please don't. I will. <laughs> do. I literally your brain. <laughs> I literally have tying up the defenses open on my podcast app right now, and I'm like, what, oh, do let you, me just. <laughs> how, do you remember the episode where you admonish? Um, where you first begin to admonish the Black Knight for being a fucking racist, because that is one of my favorites. Oh, Ooh, give us a rag. Gosh, there's, I can't it's remember what, I, it was now. the one where we talked yeah. about Defenders number, I, I can't remember if it's three or four, but it was Valkyrie's debut as a Defender. Um, uh, yeah. But okay. yeah, he decided, he's, <laughs> he lets you know he's a good guy by saying that the best place in the world to be is fighting in the Crusades. <laughs> What's wrong with that, pub, huh? <laughs> what that is anti-religious and i don't like you for that <laughs> I, terribly sorry um and with that <laughs> as we like to say on the show <laughs> keep it geeky